It's another day here at the Comeback Team Studios. This is your host, Beck Lover. And I have a very interesting guest today. His name is Joaquin Flores. He is an expert in the issues that are plaguing our society. More specifically, he's an expert in the overthrowing of governments, in the tactics and the ideologies that are used to create unrest in countries and to overthrow existing systems and governments and terminology. Some of it you may know and some of it you may not know, but he's also an expert in something called color revolutions. This is going to be a fascinating subject that's going to bring maybe some light to all of us about exactly what's going on in our country right now and across the globe. Joaquin Flores is in the house. What's up, my brother? Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here, brother. Brother, you look like you're inside the Matrix right now with your background, but you're actually reporting to us from Serbia right now. That's right. Yeah. Former Yugoslavia. Yeah. You're in Belgrade right now. Yep. Yep. It's where East meets West. It's the most interesting city in the world. Yeah. How does a Mexican-American yes. from Cali? That's right. Cali, born and raised. Yeah. How does he end up in Belgrade, Serbia, man? In a country that America bombed, by the way. So. That's right. That's right. So the United States bombs a lot of countries and they say, bro, they say like Americans learn geography based on which countries America bombs. Like, you know, if you know, you know where a country is because America bombed it. Like if you're American, you know, like, oh, I can find Iraq on a map. I can find Libya on a map. Right. Because America bombed it. Yeah. So uh, basically, you know, I saw that um, American society was falling apart, you know, quite frankly. And uh, I saw that um, people were distressed. I saw the economic system. But I saw the things that the deep state, you know, was controlling, you know, the intelligence organizations, the three letter agencies. And they were, uh, you know, the same bankers that, you know, kind of in the way of running things in the U.S. were like creating havoc in other countries, even worse than in the U.S. Now we're seeing a taste of it now. You know, now we're seeing a taste of it now. But but for decades, it's been like, well, think about Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan. So one of the things is that. um you know, a lot of people were watching TV. So I'm answering your question here, right? So what am I doing here? So a lot of people will watch TV. They watch CNN, like fake news, like CNN. And you have these people uh, get on TV and say like, oh, there's a protest here and everyone hates the government. And that might've been true. But then what they do is they set up people to interview and say, yeah, we're here to take the government down. And that would have been a lie. Like people were just protesting about, they wanted maybe a new election or they maybe they just want to decrease the electricity bill or they want to build more schools, something like that, you know, something much more basic that a million people would turn out for, right? But then the fake news like CNN, uh, MSNBC, they would come up, they would pick people to interview. They already have like their plants, you know, they already have like their people like there. So I could see that this is a cancer growing in the world. Right. And I saw who was financing and funding it. I researched the agencies. This is like in my education. So now my professor was like, hey, you should I'll write you a letter of recommendation if you want to, you know, have a job in the intelligence community, you know, in the IC, you know, there's like 16 different agencies under the DNI. And I said, like, no, it's not my thing, because I was like a radical, you know, I was like, always been like revolutionary kind of, you know, against the system. Like, I'm not going to join the system. Um, so I went out into the world to, you know, help other smaller governments and political parties kind of figure out like what's going on with this? Why, you know, why is the IMF forcing us to accept this loan and then, you know, change our cultural policies? You see what I'm saying? And then 
see how that leads to the government getting overthrown. Because in my, you know, and thanks for giving me the time to explain this, you know, because your audience, I think, is really going to appreciate it. Like, the, as this stuff, these tactics used in the world were eventually going to come to the United States. And that's what we're seeing now. So that's why you, but that's how you ended up over there. Like you kind of saw the way things were going in the U.S. and you decided to kind of get out of there. Yeah, well, not to get out, man. I'm like a forward deployed, you know, I'm trying to, I was trying to prevent these things from coming to the U.S. You see what I'm saying? Like if they could be stopped in, you know, if they could be stopped in other countries, you see, if that tactic can be exposed and people could be, we call it inoculated, the word is inoculated. Like once you're inoculated, then it, then the the lies don't hit you. Then you're like, then you know what to look for. So you think so, it's easier to 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 try to wake up smaller countries first? You know what? It's kind of like the octopus of the deep state. So you kind of cut off the tentacles. You see, like for example, like all that stuff in Ukraine with Burisma and you know Hunter Biden and right Joe Biden. So the Burisma thing was in Ukraine. Now that was only possible to get all that money into Burisma because the United States staged the color revolution in Ukraine. I say this completely neutrally. Like you could be totally against the former government of Yanukovych. So you could be totally against that and say he was corrupt, motherfucker, fuck that, right? But that doesn't mean that when the US comes in to help you that the result's gonna be better. In fact, most of the time it's worse. And I don't mean the US like patriots, I'm talking about the deep state because they were controlling like USAID, the National Endowment for Democracy, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, uh, all the George Soros philanthropic, you know, Open Societies Foundation. Uh, all these things come in, they put billions and billions of dollars to pay off media, local politicians, they finance activist groups towards like a prescripted outcome, right? So I said, you know, this is not going to go right if we don't, you know, stop it. So I think, I feel like a lot of the work was successful. I mean, I feel good about what I've been able to help do in the world with this. Um, and I think that the election of Donald Trump was a was an anomaly, like, in a sense, from the purely political point of view, it was not supposed to happen. Like, the deep state did not want that to happen, you follow? My question so, to you, and I, and I hear that all the time, and I want to be devil's advocate a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do we know he's not of the deepest of the deepest of the deepest state? We don't. And it should appear that way. And in fact, that's the strategy. So if you were going to try to, he has to appear, he has to, he would have been assassinated already. He has to appear like he could run multiple scripts, right? Like contingencies. He has to appear like, like that. I mean, that's how, look, you look at how uh, Erdogan in Turkey has been able to maintain, you know, for so long, like, you know, or Putin in Russia, how has he been able to maintain for so long? So there's like a, uh, a, a technique, uh, I'm, I'm trying to name it because I'm writing a book on it right now, but I would call it like a demagogic populism that's used against the oligarchy. So it's a way that a single demagogue, like a single leader, makes war on the aristocracy, right? But he has to divide and conquer. So he has to play like a psychological operation where he's confusing them, like, oh, I'm, I'm with you now, now I'm against you. Like, think about how Putin came to power. Like, he had guys like Abramovich behind him and then kind of turned against, or he had all these other guys behind him because Yeltsin was like, okay, Putin's our guy, right? And then Putin turned against all those guys and they fled to London. So it's like, how did he fool them, right? So he had, he had to give, it wasn't just his word of mouth, like, you know, smart guys don't believe what the fuck you say. 
he had to actually show evidence that he's taking steps in the direction that he want you know they wanted him to go before he could bust like these different reversals. Erdogan did the same thing with the AKP party. He did the same thing with 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 Gulen, right? He like let's okay, we're going to bring in Gulen, that means that you know the deep states with us. Okay, I'm going to bring in AKP. Okay, I'm going to bring in some Muslim Brotherhood. Okay, okay, we're going to change the government in Egypt. We'll put, you know, Morsi into Egypt, right? We'll overthrow Mubarak and put in Morsi. Like Erdogan was part of that. You know, we'll go into the Syrian adventure, but then crazy things happen, reverse flip, right? And now the US deep state's not very happy with Erdogan. He did like a reversal. So very interesting stuff. So this is like a technology, you follow? And that's what you will see. That's what we're seeing like with Donald Trump. He's having to divide and conquer the oligarchy. So it's like a pattern. And once you recognize that pattern, I guess, brothers, how I would break it down is that it makes sense. So he should be appearing. He should be appearing like it could go either way. For example, like all the conspiracy theories like Nessara, Gessara. Well, how's that different from the Great Reset? You know, like all your debt's gone. The government's going to give everyone something or they're going to change the economic system radically. So how is Nessara, Gessara different from the Great Reset? Sounds exactly like it. Sounds exactly like it, right? Or for example, like Operation Warp Speed, like we know that Trump's base is anti-vax, like his deep base, you know, is anti-vax. So now he, what, now he's like, now he's the vaccine king, right? Now he's, he's like- He's gonna send the fucking military to knock on your door to give you a shot. That's what he's making it sound like. You see what I'm saying? And so we know he's not, and that, and I've said the same thing with David Nino Rodriguez, we had this conversation. Yeah. So, okay, we're on the same page so far. Can, yeah. you, can you shed a little bit of light for those of us who are maybe not as up to speed with with some of these terms? What does it what does the term color revolution mean? Yeah. So it's just like these are different operations that analysts and the people involved have named. So it's almost like a code name of an operation. So it's a revolution. So we know what that is. So there was like. Uh, the Velvet Revolution, there's like the Orange Revolution, there's like the Green Revolution. Some of them succeed, some of them fail. There was the Rose Revolution. So they take place in different countries. There was the Carnation Revolution. They take place in different countries. And if it has a color name to it, then you know that it was uh, an intelligence operation. You know, so you kind of build a populist movement and it's uh, usually financed by either like or arranged and organized, you know, not financed, but arranged and organized through like the British MI6 or the American CIA. They're mostly heavily involved in that. We're talking about deep state actors, yeah. So what is, so you feel that, for example, uh, there's definitely a battle going on right now, globally. There's definitely a battle. Do you think there's any good guys left at that type, at that high of a level? I mean, you know, I don't I don't think in terms of good guys and bad guys, I look at kind of like objective, you know, in my work, I look at like objective results and analysis. Uh, I don't really have like faith in I, I feel, you know, my, my my assessment of people generally is that the wrong type of people in general are drawn to power. Like good people just want to get married, have their children, go to the ball games, you know, be involved in their community. <clears throat> Like they're simple, they might be brilliant, they might read lots of books, they might be able to break things down, they might have a good relationship with God, but they're not like trying to, you know, tell people what to do, you, you follow? Generally speaking, people attracted to government and politics have a some kind of hole in their heart, but there are very rare individuals who are being called by a higher purpose, whether they're aware of it or not. So there was a book 
uh, called, um, it was by a former CIA officer. The name, the, the author slips my mind, but it was basically, I was a hitman. I was an economic hitman. It was like tales of an economic hitman, right? Yeah, yeah, and, very famous book. Yep, yeah. And so he says basically that this, uh, that there are such thing as uncorruptible leaders. So you can threaten them, coerce them, bribe them. Here's billions and billions of dollars. Like, no, no, no. I'm leading my people. I have a mission. I have a goal. This is what we're doing. And it might be some political ideology that, you know, people don't agree with because the world's a very big place. So, you know, they might be in hardcore into communism or Islam or Christianity or free markets or whatever. I mean, the world's a big place, but they have that strong vision. They have support of their people. Like the people are vibrating on their wavelength and they're like feeling it and they're like behind them. And they're like, yeah, we're not, we're not stepping down. We're not, you know, we're not moving over. You know, we're not, you know, I'm not going to take the bribe. So that changed, that changed my perspective a little bit from the first thing I said. So there is such a thing as people who, who are out there and they might be wrong, but they cannot be corrupted. Do you feel like, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to give some examples here. Cause again, this is very complicated stuff we're talking about here. Do you feel like in the case of Egypt, it seemed to me at least from out here and I don't know much about it. I'm not an expert in Egyptian politics, yeah. but it seemed to me that the general population wanted Morsi in power in, in Egypt. For them. Yeah, it seemed like that. See, the thing is, look, was, it, was it was it the masses that wanted him? I mean, how do we really know what happened there on the ground? I've spoken to a lot of Egyptians. They seem to have for said sure. that they yeah, people support, have mixed views. Yeah, yeah they well, supported here's the, him. And then when this guy, mm -hmm. the military guy stepped in and took control. Yeah, Al-Sisi. Okay, they started rounding people up, executing them, jail. I mean, that that's a fact. I know people that have left and escaped to America because of that. Yeah, yeah. That's because they were connected to Morsi. See, every government does this. Like, you can talk to Cubans, right? You can talk to Cubans. Okay, so who was Morsi, in your opinion, working for? Well, I would say that's not my opinion. Like, this is... this is. Was he for the I'm deep state or not the deep state? No. Let me just... Okay, Good question, but let me let me kind of try to wrap you know try to wrap it around here, right? So you have the Muslim Brotherhood organization in Egypt, okay, and they have existed in Egypt for a long, long time. You know the ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood, even the one that had an influence on Al Qaeda, and even people don't know as much actually had an influence on the Shia organization led by uh, Khomeini in the nineteen uh, in the nineteen seventy nine revolution in Iran. They don't really know that connection because they think Sunni Shia is like, you know, a gulf that can't be crossed. But it was actually a guy named Kothob, who was the primary prime theoretician of the Muslim Brotherhood, came out of the 1950s. And he was opposed to, you know, like Nasser, right? And uh, the pan-Arabism, pan pan it was spreading, you know, out of Egypt. It was, you know, Syria and, e and Egypt for a while, for two years, right? In the 50s, had that union state. It was like one country, actually. They were, it was a bathism combined with Nasserism. So, you know, the thing is that the Muslim Brotherhood goes back to resistance to the Ottoman Empire, a noble endeavor, no doubt. However, then you have the issue with the British got involved, like Lawrence of Arabia, right? Like that movie, Lawrence of Arabia. That's like the foundation, you know, all those Muslim guys that were backing him. That's the story of like the founding of Muslim Brotherhood, let's say, so for people to understand. So the British have been very much involved, the MI6 now, very much involved in Muslim Brotherhood type, you know, operations. And we also know that Hillary Clinton's aide, uh, Huma Abedin, is also very connected to powerful families in the Muslim Brotherhood. 
Now, I want to say for the audience, this has nothing to do with the religion of Islam. This has nothing to do with the everyday lives that fantastic, loving, wonderful Muslims have in their communities and in their lives. This is just an organization that's called the Muslim Brotherhood. Okay, with that said, it was operationalized by the deep state to overthrow Mubarak. However, Mubarak was not popular. What people need to understand about the color revolution is only that the situation in the end uh, is gets worse. Not that the people they're overthrowing were bad, were not bad. It just but it, it, it gets, seemed to me that Mubarak was one of them. I, I, like he was there for yes, a long he was. time. Yeah. So why would well, they overthrow you. the guy? Yeah, because people have they don't go far enough. They don't go far enough. It's like you give a list of demands and you have twelve demands. See, the demands never stop. The same thing happened to Milosevic in Yugoslavia. The, you know, he was kind of one of them, but they overthrew him. The demands never stop. You see, like, they tell you, do, do, do these you 10 things. Do you feel that he was, speaking of Milosevic, he was purposely sent in to destroy Yugoslavia? In your, hum was, in your humble he, opinion? You know, I would say that he, he actually tried to do counter-color revolutions to put pro-Milosevic people in the different, you know, Yugoslav uh, republics. And so it was because he saw that the local federal republic intelligence agencies, especially like in Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, had already been compromised by a Club of Rome plan to destabilize Yugoslavia, you know, going way back to the final years of Tito. So they already said, like, since Tito hadn't really named a clear successor, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's going to be weak. So then they had the Communist Committee, but not a single individual try to run the show. Milosevic was the first Yugoslav leader in had been almost 10 years to try to be like, okay, we need to tighten this back up because it's going to spiral out of control. But he wouldn't have, he was put in that position. It's always a twist, brother. He was in that position where he could tighten things up because he was their man. I mean, he went to school in England. He had tight connections to the Western banking institutions. He was definitely there. Like he was kind of like Gorbachev in the sense that like he wanted Yugoslavia to stay together, but he wanted to be like a pro Western free market country, but stay together. Right. But he wanted it to go against the local rights of individual nationalities. Like he didn't want Croatia to break off. He didn't want Slovenia, you know, Macedonia, Kosovo, any of that. He didn't want anyone. He didn't. He wanted to keep it all together because he's like, it's we're going to be weaker if we're divided. But then again, it's like a, it's like these are more philosophical questions, like beyond my ability to answer. Right. Like then again, on the other hand, if you do break off in your self-determination of peoples by your religious linguistic groups, well, now you're going to be a little tiny microstate that's going to be subjugated by, you know, Germany, probably. So, you know, that's the conundrum. So same thing in now with Egypt, with Mubarak, understanding how color revolutions work. Yeah, the guy was really unpopular. He was he was a dictator. He was in power for a long time. Uh, but, you know, every society has a fabric. And then see, once you start tearing apart that fabric, even towards noble ends, you start creating an increasingly destabilized scenario. You follow like the scenario becomes more and more unstable. What was the red line for Mubarak? Well, they wanted they wanted uh, Egypt to enter into the Syrian war. And that was his red line. So he was like, we'll take on the IMF debt. We'll, you know, we'll cut back the pensions for the elderly. We'll do all the, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll close the tunnel to Palestine. We'll like, we'll work against the Palestinians and we'll be, we'll be kind of close with Israel on that question of closing down the border, right? With the, the tunnels, right? Through, to the Gaza Strip. Uh, and people didn't like him for that. In fact, one of the Muslim Brotherhood, to their, to their credit, one of the Muslim Brotherhood's like biggest organizing 
points around that was how he was so viciously in line with Israel with regard to the Palestinian question. Which right? they consider like their brothers, you know, the Palestinians. And, you know, it makes sense that they do. I think Yasser Arafat grew up in Egypt part of the time. So, you know, a and lot Morsi, of these things. If I'm not mistaken, when he first got into power, because he did have a brief moment before the coup that they did on him, you know, yeah. regardless of how he got into power. I mean, there was sure, sure. there was a coup d'etat on the guy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, he said, we're opening the border right away with Palestine. That was like the first thing that's he right. said. That was an important thing to do. But so that's the that's the good side. The bad side was that he was going to enter forces into the Syrian conflict. He was going to let he was going to open up Egypt as another port for Muslim Brotherhood, armed Muslim Brotherhood fighters to be engaged in the Syrian conflict. So that would have maybe been a game changer. And so Russia and Saudi Arabia made an agreement. We don't normally think about them agreeing, but Russia and Saudi Arabia made an agreement to overthrow Morsi. Well, wasn't Saudi Arabia also trying to destabilize Syria? Yes, they were, but they were mostly the Al-Qaeda ISIS side or the Al-Qaeda side of ISIS. And the you know with Morsi and with Erdogan in Turkey, Erdogan helped Morsi get into power. Erdogan in Turkey helped Morsi get into power in Egypt. Okay, so those Muslim Brotherhood, they had different aims. They kind of like were on the same side to overthrow Assad. And they might have been, but they were in different units. You know what I'm saying? They were like, they had different platoons. So they were like maybe on the same front, but they had different platoons. So, but all of that is like the intrigue of war, brother. Like, but the mechanics of color revolutions is, you know, really what people need to understand because that's what's happening in the U.S. It seems like, um, like Syria has been like the battleground for like, proxy wars for like 10 different countries right now man it's like that's right it's yeah. like the epicenter <laughs> what's very interesting is that even from the uh, islamic perspective syria is like where the end of the world happens basically that's right that's right the dajjal they believe that's, that's right. where the antichrist descends and they believe it's, that there's uh, a yeah. they believe there's a battle that starts over the euphrates river mm -hmm, that's right yeah it turns black or the, the and like 99 mm percent -hmm. of the world will die fighting in that battle because there's supposedly something buried under the euphrates river yeah it's oil yeah from from islamic eschatology no one really knows if it's oil or whatever but something worth it's either literally gold or something that's just as valuable as gold yeah it's black gold yeah that's it it's um it's uh it's so i studied the mountains of it supposedly. yeah mountains of it yeah i studied under uh sheikh imran hussein and uh and he's, he's an expert uh, he's the expert of uh, islamic islamic eschatology, eschatology that's right so. quite uh, very quiet lately that guy yeah yeah but I, so you studied you know, under I, you studied under imam hussein yes yes wow some people would listen to his videos and say this guy's you know a little you know extreme he, they would they would uh, other factions would would you know in his yeah. in his religion and his faith yeah but he also spoke of this virus 10 years ago i've listened that's to right. some of his lectures and he actually hit it right on the head yeah well all the things happening like with transhumanism and uh currency are um long studied in his analysis of islamic eschatology he, the whole the whole period of end time is called the Akhirul zaman so this is like so you actually studied at. with him in trinidad no he's come to belgrade numerous times wow That's and um and i've interviewed him i spent a long time with him met his his uh, his wife his children and um he's a great man he's a beautiful man um very wise how accurate so, how accurate would you say he is more than 80 with, with his predicting more than 80 percent then and this and what i'm what i'm explaining here to viewers is uh 
this is a scholar of the uh, Islamic faith of the, of, the, right. of Islam, and he uses the scriptures of the religions, but primarily the Quran. And he also uses the of hadith, yeah. the authentic sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, correct, mm-hmm. to look backwards in an effort to predict what would happen in the future. He does say that I don't know the future; only God does. But these are my opinions based on what I have researched here. My the guy's well into his what seventies, eighties. That's right. Yeah, seventies. Yeah. So his entire life, he's a he's a scholar of the of these religions. I would actually consider I would call him a scholar of all three Abrahamic faiths. I mean, the guy really knows this. He stuff. really is. He understands it very well. And so within he, Islam, he he's like a master of like all the schools of Islamic jurisprudence. So so, so he, he doesn't even really fit into the Sunni Shia. I mean, technically he he technically he's he's Sunni from his you know lineage and his study, but he believes that he's like transcended that you know. And uh, so he, I mean, predicts, he knows a lot about. The, yeah. Hmm? So so what I'm trying to explain to the audience here is that this is a person that has thousands of lectures online. If you type in his name, he makes predictions based on because Islam has signs of the end of the world just like Christianity does and between same ones yeah yeah, and between Islam and Christianity there's a lot that are very close that's right you know for example an antichrist an Armageddon Mm -hmm. you know these big events are the same in both faiths right and even some of the areas that they're supposed to happen in which you know for people that are religious and people that you know believe in the Bible and believe in the Quran and even the Torah that whole region is where like everything pops off. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Syria, right. Iraq, the Euphrates river, which also starts in Turkey. Yeah. So that's right. I just find it fascinating. If people, you know, actually look at some of this stuff, they might be very surprised at what they actually find and, uh, and, and research yeah. and blow their minds. But there's in. something, there's something very important for the audience to understand about Armageddon apocalypse in the end times. Like, do you do like, you believe that 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 will happen one day? Do you believe that there, that, that this is real? There's a there's a there's a there's a guy that's going to come out and take over the whole world, and Jesus comes back down, and there's epic battles. I mean, do you do you personally do you, do you have those views or? You know, um, this is my view: is that uh, if this was this if if the Quran, if books like the Quran, like the Bible, like the Babylon Talmud or the Damascus or Jerusalem Talmud have survived for thousands of years, hundreds of centuries, you, you know, then, and if Hadith has been preserved in, in the, you know, Quranic tradition, if the writings of the church fathers have been preserved since the fourth or fifth century AD, and this, and think about before the printing press, brother, like if these were the books that all the people that are awakened dreamers who can who, who 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 in their in their dreams and in their manifestations like receive visions and they congregate together and at holy locations and if this is the message that they have received right and that, and if this is then the message that people humanity you know spilt blood and 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 made every sacrifice to preserve those books and preserve that teaching um, I would lend it higher credibility than the scientific method would otherwise prescribe. Okay, I like that. That's actually a very interesting way to explain it. So do you think we're in the final phase of humanity on a timeline basis? I think that's up to us. I think that the timeline, I don't think that time works the way that we understand time. You think if mankind is corrupted, it speeds it up? That's right. Kind of like the doomsday clock scenario, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And if humanity pushes back against evil, maybe Mm -hmm. even, you know, the creator might even be with them and delay their their demise. That's right, brother. Like in, um, in Orthodox, in Eastern Catholicism, Eastern 
orthodoxy in the orthodox catholic faith they have a view called catacon catacon or catacon which is basically like even though the eventual armageddon is a thing you know our role in the world is to hold that back you know not to not to speed it up but to hold that back because the longer that we hold that back the more that people are awakened because it can go one of two ways like we, in other words, the end of the world is not supposed to be like death and destruction and nuclear war. It's supposed to be the end of the age, the, the old age of destruction, the old age of corruption. So it's supposed to give birth to a new world being the kingdom of heaven. It's supposed to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's not supposed to be like we all die in nuclear incineration and then we go to heaven. Like the world, the physical world that we are creating is actually a world of consciousness. We're actually the, the, the creators of the world of consciousness in the world. The physical world at the fundamental level is consciousness, right? So the idea is not to like, well, the nuclear bomb's going to go off and then, you know, my soul goes to heaven and that's the end of the world. No, 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 no. That's what we're trying to stop from happening. Yeah. So damn, we went off on a tangent right there. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, but I find it fascinating that you studied with that person, man. Yeah, yeah, it was a big, it was an important part of my and, life. From, any, yeah. any, anyone else that you studied with that, you know, on that caliber? Yeah, yeah. Um, Alexander Dugan, who's one of uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, consultants or advisors. He's also a religious scholar. Um, and he studied a lot of occult stuff, uh, Western occultism, Western esotericism. And then, and then he sort of bridged the gap between the study of, you know, the modern practice of Satanism, like the modern practice of, of satanic... Uh, indoctrination or satanic what's the word initiation and uh, as developed by the british intelligence agencies through you know with alistair crowley as what we know the deep state like Isn't Hillary Clinton he, and all he's, them. he's definitely the father of the occult in the u.s without a doubt right uh, without a doubt without a doubt but he and was definitely is it true yeah. that is it i mean i always heard the rumors but is it true that he was Related to Barbara Bush? Can we confirm that anywhere? I, have you heard that? I don't rumors? know. I haven't heard that one, man. That would be new, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, they kind of look alike. But uh, <laughs> they all look yeah, alike no, if, you, if you really look at them. Yeah, that's true. That's, I think it's really missing soul. Alike. Missing soul syndrome. It's kind of like a Down syndrome. Well, all look alike. I had seen like the genealogical uh, committee had actually ran a test, and they had linked a lot of these people. All really are first, second, and third cousins removed. Most. Yeah, a lot of them are related to King John in England. It's crazy. Yeah, it's very, very crazy. So, yeah, so Alexander Dugan is like a, one of Putin's advisors. and Has he, he written any like, books? Has he put anything out there that people can oh, read? Oh, tons of stuff. Is he allowed like, to? He's alive. Uh, he's in his middle, late 50s. Uh, he's written a book like uh, on geopolitics. If anyone Google his name, he's been banned off of Amazon. So he's a sensitive name, by the way. And, uh, you know, you can't mention his name and stuff like that. Uh, even, on, on, even on YouTube? Yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, people lost their accounts mentioning his name. And, uh, and uh, you know, he, he was involved in, like, when the deep state, you know how Clinton was, like, Yeltsin's friend? Can I be Remember honest with you? I'm they, having a hard time figuring out how the hell we're going to put this episode I up don't on know, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> we might but have you to just good. release the audio, man. Yeah, you know, maybe. And maybe that's chop it. Chop this but, uh, shit up because we're there, man. Fuck, you got more editing than 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 runtime, but uh, but you know you got um. There was a color revolution in the Soviet Union, so that doesn't mean that the Soviet government was good. You follow the pattern here. It just means that the American deep state was involved in overthrowing it, so that they could put their people in 
like what people want when they overthrow a dictator is they want freedom, they want democracy, but they don't want to lose their country to a foreign country. You see the difference? So the problem with when you step into a situation where the people might rise up and then you start trying to help them, you're actually trying to bring in your own banking institutions, your own McDonald's, your own, your you know, Microsoft. Yeah, you're trying to bring in your system. So you so can then, enslave them. So then, so then you go from dictatorship to slavery, like of a different kind. People, so, people think of slavery chains in a field. No, the new way to enslave <laughs> people is with debt. That's right, debt. And that's through the IMF. And so now a couple of things. So that's one thing to keep in mind is that color revolutions always bring in IMF debt. So countries that are trying to pay off their debt or they got ahead of the payment schedule and then they say, hey, you know what? We're good now. We don't need more debt. Like, you know, the IMF says, no, 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 you do need more debt. And then they'll just bribe some generals. And then they put in, for example, like these George Soros, National Endowment for Democracy, USAID, you know, Radio Liberty, Radio Free Europe, propaganda, and they take over the public sector. So like, for example, you know how, like when you're gonna borrow money, like you want to buy a car, you want to get a you know a note on a car. So what do you do? You got to show them that you have collateral, right? You got to show them, I got a job, I do this. Okay, can you afford the payment? Yeah. So sometimes you go to the dealership to buy a car and they say like, you know what? You need to make, you need to have a 500 more a month, you know, disposable income to qualify for this loan, right? So then that's the same thing with government. So they go like, you need to cut back on social security spending, or you need to cut back on, you know, early infant care or K through 12. You need to cut back on those in your budget. So then they go, okay. And they say, but if you cut back on those, we'll bring in a nonprofit. We'll bring in, we'll bring in like a charity to run that in your country that's financed through philanthropists like Bill Gates or like George Soros. So then those philanthropic you know, they're taking over the functions of like civilian government. If you think about it, it's kind of like taking over your army, except taking over your health care or taking over your education. It's just as important. It's part of the fabric of a society. You dig. So what they do then is then when the people go to work at those new privatized clinics that are financed by philanthropy is then they start getting them propagandized like, oh, we hate the government or we need to take the government down. So they make those people actually more radicalized. They radicalize people that should just be like firefighters or nurses or something, they make them like radicalized, like part of the agenda. That's what you're seeing now in England with the NHS and the, you know, the whole thing with taking the thing in the arm. That's what you're seeing now. Or for example, with the police departments in the US with like defund the police. That's a, that's a, that's openly George. This is not conspiracy theory guys. Anyone just Follow your Google, follow your DuckDuckGo, you know, who's behind, you know, ActBlue, who's behind these, these, you know, Do you think proposals? it's a way to radicalize the police too, in a way? Because well, yeah, it, it makes yeah. them hate the people that are against them now, like they don't yeah. like us. So it creates animosity between civilians. That's right. And the police force. So that later on when orders come down, they like, fuck these people, right? I mean. Yeah, I mean, everyone has a frame of reference for that. I mean, like, for example, I grew up in L.A., and all the LAPD guys were white, right? I'm not white. And all that, and I'm from LA, and all the LAPD guys were from Simi Valley. They live like 50, 80 miles north in like all white neighborhoods that police lived in. So it was almost like a barrack, it was almost like a military base, you know what I mean? And then they, they come into our communities and they feel like an occupying army. You know, they feel like, like, and then they act like an occupying army, act like how probably how Iraqis feel, you know, with Marines there, like, or National Guard there in the streets, like, this is an occupying army. 
You see what I mean? So they do that. Now, the police have been mismanaged in the U.S. for a long time. And it, the thing is, it's not about Democrats or Republicans. It's about regions in the country. So they, can, they divided the American. This is also color revolution tactics that I'm breaking down for you. So they divided the American people. So like if you live in a major city like and you don't and you don't own your own business, like it makes more sense to be a Democrat. It really does. OK, now. And if you live in what they call flyover country or middle America or the South or the Rust Belt, the Midwest and uh, and no matter what, it makes more sense to be a Republican most of the time, most of the time. The thing is that the American party system are actually regional parties and they have a big tent, you know, at the national level to big tent. Now, the national discourse, like through media, makes you think that these are divisions that are ideological divisions in the country, but they're really not. They're just local regional party interests, like economic interests of a region. Like we sell oranges, you know, Democrats are going to get us more money for our oranges that we sell or whatever, you see. So it's like disguising the fact that they were regional parties. If you live in Los Angeles and like you work for some company and like you just, yeah, you know, you have a salary and you have three kids and they're in grade school and, you know, and, you know, you need it. Like you can't afford health care. You need something like Bernie Sanders plan or you need that the schools get good money. They need after, you know, after school care, things like that. It makes sense to be a Democrat. But if you live in like, you know, Missouri, if you live like in uh, St. Charles, Missouri or something like that and you're like own a small business, you're not even like a greedy person or you know what I'm saying? Like you just own a small business and it's like taxes are, the taxes that the you know Democrats are pushing are like crazy high or they wanna regulate your business into the ground. You see, so it's not, but they're being projected. So the public is being divided intentionally. These are color revolution tactics. Like the police, they gave the police like a wrong ideology to be like divided from the people. They told them like, oh, no, we need to pursue this, you know, militarization of the police. Now, there are people that just usually older men who just or they come from or younger men that come from rural parts of the country where the relationship with the police is still good. So they don't understand why it happens in inner cities that the police have a bad relationship with the community. They don't know that the police actually get orders to to push the envelope and to break the law. They actually have orders in the Fraternal Order of the Police. Fraternal Order of Police actually says, this is the law, we know it, push the envelope and let the city sue or let the people sue. So they actually have like a policy to do that. So that's, do, you think like that, do you think that occurred in New York City, for example, when it was just stop and frisk, like they were, and technically that's a civil right to just be stopped and, and searched all the time. That's right, that's, that's right. A, that's an infringement on the Bill of Rights, that's a fact. That's a fact, that's a fact. And the Fraternal Order of Police supported stop and frisk. You see, so that's a great example, brother. There it is. But the thing, the important thing is that from Americans that live in rural or suburban America and flyover, so-called flyover country, um, the, a lot of those communities have great relations with the police. Police come at you normal. Oh, hey, I'll let you off with a warning. Okay, just get the tail light fixed. So it's totally alien to them that the police will actually pull you out of your car like before you did nothing by your neck and start beating you for fun or for whatever. It's totally alien to people in other parts of the country because the news and the media presents like a national picture. Same with Democrats, Republicans. That's how we know that we're entering in such a volatile situation that Americans have such differing but very real narratives about what life is like in America. And that's what's so dangerous about the present situation. Yeah, and it's fueled now by social media. I think that that film, The Social Dilemma, was a great 
eye-opener for a lot of people that you can literally be in two different realities. That's right. Yeah, people living in multiple realities. And, um, you know, so the color revolution, man, is like, come in to a country, tell them to qualify for an IMF loan, they have to cut their public budget. Well, with all this, so, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but where where do you see the U.S. with all of this in the next couple of years with with how much trouble we're in now financially? There's no way our economy is booming right now. I don't give a shit what Wall Street's showing us. I don't care. Well, we don't have a, we don't, yeah, Wall Street is not a good indicator, neither is GDP. We're not, uh, we don't have a result yet on this election, in my opinion. So I think it's too hard to forecast. If you, you had know, to like, guess, if you had to guess on today's date, because it'll just be interesting just to go back. And I don't know when it was the truth. I've already called it that I don't think Trump's going to step down. It's December 21st. Yeah. 2020. In the year of chaos, do you think Donald J. Trump will be in power in 2021, if you had to guess? I think that he thinks so. Okay, so you think he thinks so. So you don't see him staying in by any means necessary? I think that he would use every means that people around him believe are legal. Do you think that he would he did? Can you put it past him to use the Insurrection Act? No. He, he may very well use the Insurrection Act. So there's a very good chance that this guy's going to stay in no matter what, especially if he believes he was, the election was stolen from him. Better than 70% right now. So you say there's a 7 out of 10 chance that this guy's still in power come January? Yeah, 8. I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's now take us down the nightmare scenario. Yeah. You know, and again, these are just, you know, listen, nobody knows the future but God, right? That's right. That's right. But we, pre- we try to predict, you know? That's right. Yeah, and, that's you my know, job. And some of the scholars that you've learned with, they're, they're excellent at forecasting and, and giving their opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and even they say we can't get it right 100% of the time because only God knows the future. But we give right. predictions that this will happen. And one of the people you've studied with, you know, I followed him. And he's followed by a lot of people that are not even Muslim. That's right. Because it's always, you know, it's always interesting to get their perspective Sometimes these people are viewed as anti this or anti that, or, you know, they're, you know, people say all oh, their bigots or their hatred, but it's always fascinating to, to hear their opinions, especially when predictions are being made. That's right. Of this will happen during this time mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. So I've always been that's fascinated right. by that stuff. My audience doesn't know that that's one of my, my actually my passions. I love oh. studying the end of the world based on yeah. all the religions, not just Christianity, Judaism mm-hmm. and Islam, but even Hinduism, you know, all these different faiths bring a, their own view of what happens towards the end of time. That's right. And I've always found it fascinating to, you know, to be quite frank, but so what's the dark scenario. My question to you is, let's say he does keep power. He stays in power. However he stays oh. in, he stays in, whether it's insurrection act, however, some miracle in the Supreme court. How would you see this next year in your opinion, if that happens? Um, so the, m- in terms of internal American policy or in like terms stability. of like international relations? First, domestically, what, what will we probably be facing? Would there be violence, not be violence? Could there be a uh, shutdown? And then <clears throat> how do you think it would ripple throughout the entire world? So, so the, um, the world, the IMF, right? So we, we mentioned the IMF a few times. So the IMF uh, has a think tank. Uh, based um, in Davos called the World Economic Forum, based in Davos, Switzerland. Okay, and they make policy for all the countries that are in the IMF rubric, right? Uh, And um, they have financed their, one of their top uh, members of the World Economic Forum is named Nicholas 
Bergwin, 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 and uh, Nicholas Bergwin is um, is a billionaire financier. Um, he uh, <clears throat> studied Marxism in his youth, but he was from a very very wealthy family, I think, in real estate. And they set him up with a mentor in finance. And by the time he was 20 or 25, he made his first couple million dollars. So he went from like Marxism to market manipulation. So now he's very, he's, he's almost as important to understand the world right now as Bill Gates or George Soros or Klaus Schwab, who's the executive director and founder of the World Economic Forum. Why am I mentioning all these names and all these people? Well, let me connect the dots right now. All of these people have committed to overthrowing Trump. So they got behind a project called the Transitional Transition Integrity Project. Nicholas Bergwin was the primary financier of it. John Podesta and a few of the neocons from the Bush administration were deeply involved. It was a war game scenario that was staged around June of this last summer, right? You know, last summer, 2020. And in that scenario, they mapped out the various scenarios that would happen if Trump won the election, if he lost, if he lost by a little, if he lost by a lot. Okay. So in the scenario that he wins, so we're talking about what's happening inside the United States, will there be violence? In the scenario that he wins, John Podesta playing the role of, this was published by the way, this is not like- I saw it, uh, I, I actually saw it. Yeah, yeah, so, so you can, can find confirm. this in the Atlantic, New York Times. This is not fringe stuff. This is, all of the stuff I talk about are, are bona fides. Yeah, I don't talk see, about you, you Illuminati scroll. and shit like that. Okay, so all the stuff I talk about is bona fides. This is a- Stuff you uh, can confirm, it's public, you can see it. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. I'm all about- Tangible, um, it's tangible knowledge. Tangible, tangible knowledge. I'm all about publicly sourced intelligence, okay? I do public source intelligence. So- this what happened with they said Joe Biden is going to tell Ga Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom, and the governors of Oregon and, and Washington to secede from the United States. <laughs> so they're going to expand CHAZ and RAS, autonomous zones. That's like the kernel. That's why you see that there. That's like the embryo to have a secession movement to break apart. In color revolution scenarios, you also have secession movements to break apart parts of the country. So you saw that in Yugoslavia, you've seen that in Syria with the Kurds, right? Okay, so that's one of the methods used in coups and color revolutions. So they're gonna, so what happens is Biden, uh, who lost, who, who loses in the scenario, then encourages those states to secede. Okay, then what happens is that that pressure is used to get the secession of those states and looking that Trump wouldn't want to deploy the military internally and have a, you know, fight over who controls the National Guard of those states and then send in whatever, have like a military confrontation to avoid that and because it would be a constitutional crisis. Then they're going to get the well with Trump in office. They're going to get the following concessions that are all could lead to also part of violence and could lead to violence. Okay, Puerto Rico and Washington D.C. become states. Uh, the Supreme Court justices are limited now; they're not lifetime appointees. They expand the Supreme Court to like 24 or 26 justices, Act, of and they rotate up and down through the circuit not just the circuit courts like they do now, like the circuit appellate courts, but they actually will sit as federal district judges and Supreme Court justices, kind of like on a merry-go-round, all 24, 26 of them. 
Okay. So basically like a third house of government. So you have like, so you have like 400 something congressmen, a hundred senators and 25 Supreme court justices, and they will be all activist judges. Like there'll be political appointments of course. And, but they will be rotating in and out. So they're not, they're not accountable. Very, very crazy. Then California gets split into five states. So now you have Puerto Rico as a state. So that's the Senate is now 52 seat, seats. You have Washington, D.C., uh, sorry, 100, 104 seats, right? Um, Washington, D.C. becomes a state. Now you have 106, 100, 106 seats. Sorry, 102, 104. Then you have California with, 10, with eight more seats because California is already a state. So you divide California into five, subtract the one that California is, you got four times two, that's eight more seats. So the, basically the Senate expands, I think to 60 or 62 seats. Someone do the math better for me, but you get the idea. So now that's, they're gonna defund the police, but they're gonna make it like a radical libertarian's wet dream. It's gonna be like private police agencies that are even farther removed from public citizen review and even more militarized than the ones you see now. They all brought it in through the back door through defund the police, through Black Lives Matter, see how that works. But it's actually gonna be worse for black people. It's gonna be worse for communities because they're gonna be, as, as the accountability issues that they already have, like with civilian review boards and stuff being teethless or the police can turn the camera off or whatever, it's gonna be even worse than that. It's gonna be like uh, uh, Judge Dredd. They're gonna allow the Supreme Court to give local police authority to, to stage trials on the spot they're gonna they're rolling this. They're gonna roll that out because of coronavirus. Say like, hey, you're gonna just have your trial on Zoom, and then they're gonna have a left-wing group say, hey, people have a right to a speedy speedy trial. In other words, we don't want to have people in jail without charges on them, or you know, with charges pending. Like, they're, so they're gonna make it a human rights issue that the police officer is gonna be on the spot and he's gonna have like a camera, like a tablet, and then so he's gonna arrest you on the spot, and then they're gonna get a judge up on the screen. Okay, and then they're going to sentence you on the spot. So then the judge takes you to to prison. So the police officer takes you to prison instead of to jail. Okay, so so all of this all, was done though on the Podesta thing. No, this is like if you if you this is taking the eight the 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 public policy paper that was sent to every city council in the United States called like um, it's called the eight. It's like a platform of eight reforms. Okay. And then it's also reading between the lines of what that means. Cause they say, oh, so, you know, expedite, expedite people, you know, right to a, a quick trial. What does that look like? Well, what have they been doing already with using Zoom for court dates already, right? So now just extrapolate from there. Now, everything I'm saying about the Senate, Supreme Court, all of that is in the Transition Integrity Project, right? John Podesta and the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, COVID-19, The Great Reset, The Fourth Industrial Revolution are Klaus Schwab's books. So basically, so, in, your, in, in your humble opinion, yeah, the Great Reset is real. This whole agenda is to completely shift the entire dynamics of the entire Earth financially, legally. Bro, it's not my opinion. It's on the World Economic Forum website. The director of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, wrote the book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And he wrote the book, another book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Okay. He also said to expect cybernetic attacks. He also said that, like at a World Economic Forum event, Donald Trump spoke at the World Economic Forum a year or two ago, might've been three, but I think it was two years ago. And he said, basically, 
if you understand his words, he gave them the finger. Then what happens is the following day, Soros says, we need to, that 2020 will be the last year that Trump has office. How do we, you know, not, and again, I'm, I, I try to bring this down to the level of people who have no fucking idea what we're talking about. Yeah, but they're learning. So this George Soros guy, how do we really know he's just not some guy that people said, oh, he's the bad guy? Even though I don't think he's a good person at all. I think he's probably yeah. one of the most evil people, if yes, not the most evil people on the face of the planet. Do you think he has people above him that give him Absolutely notice? Absolutely, he does. In fact, who could those people be? You're not allowed to name them. Do you even know who they are? Yeah, of course. You all know who they are. It's everything that every, every, it's been the name of the main banking family and every okay. conspiracy theory all you've right. read. So it's, every that, it's, that group. it's that group. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, that, it is. It's just, it's them. There's other families too. I mean, you have like the Rockefellers and you have descendants of the Melons. You have. So, so when people, when people use the, Illuminati word. Is that the right word to call these people in your opinion? These groups all the way at the top? They don't call themselves that as I understand it. You know, they just but well, they um, don't it's call not. themselves that, but that you know you know the, yeah. the, the this is what the world calls them, you know. This what, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I mean if the people that the people that people have in mind, I mean if if you know if their research is decent. The people that people have in mind when they talk about the Illuminati are those people in power. It's, in, it's hidden in plain sight. They just call it a conspiracy theory so that you really can't hide that stuff. You know, there's, that's as far as it goes. I mean, all you got to do is look at policies. It's really not that that's hard. Right. Well, why, why did they do this? Why did we go to war? What do we gain by going into that war? Here exactly. we are almost 20 years later. We're about to hand Afghanistan back to the Taliban. Right. After so all what, that. So what the fuck was the point? Yeah. The right, point was opium lines, lithium, corporate yeah. interest, lobbies. It was never mm -hmm. about the Afghanis. It was never about our, never. Our, our brothers and sisters that we lost in New York City. That I was That's there. Right. That I was there to watch die that day. By the way, wow. so yeah, I was no, right there. I was right there during uh, the whole thing. I was actually underneath the World Trade Center the day it was hit. So, so but, that's crazy, man. I you know it's. Uh, I remember when it happened. I was, uh, I was like 22, 23 years old. I remember that. Do you think America ever should have won to Iraq? War-wise, do we, do we should have never fought any of these wars, in your opinion, in the last 20 years? You know, um... A lot of people no, died, I bro. don't. I, I don't think that... A lot that, of I fucking people died, man. I don't think that the United States should have gone into those... should have created those wars. It, it, um, you know, I learned in high school, and this is when I realized that... It took me a couple of years to realize I was being lied to. Hmm. I realized that, you know, we were always told that our country was a laissez-faire country. We, we never got involved in conflict. Like, like, the only reason we had to in World War II was because they hit us. Like, like we, we don't want to fight. We, all we've done right. is fucking fight. When you really study our history, all we've done is fucking fight a war all the time. That's right. But yeah, nonstop. Nonstop. And technically, we only became a real superpower after World War II. So our reign on this earth as a, as a, as a superpower. Very short has been very short, and I think we're in the decline already. I think we're fucked, in my opinion. You're right. No, think, you're right. It's a good assessment. I think it we're is. watching the complete collapse. So so getting back to the original point of this, because we can go off on tangents very easily in this world, yeah. okay? 
but we have to keep it linear for people that don't understand what the fuck we're talking about. Mm-hmm. When they had these roundtables that you talked about that Podesta was at and all these other people. Yeah, yeah. What was the, so what was the final end result? There was succession. In the final result, so they had basically three scenarios. Um, they had Biden wins by a lot, Biden wins by a little, and Trump wins by a little. Why did they put it that way? Well, because the reality is everyone knows that Trump won by a lot. Everyone who knows what happened, he just, the, I think the Federalist ran a fantastic article pointing out every anomaly, like all of the down ballot candidates that Trump actually, you know, from his energy happened. I mean, how did, how did the Republicans pick up however dozen and a half seats in the Congress? How did they, how did they hold on to the Senate if Joe Biden if Joe Biden won, it just doesn't happen that way. No, and there's a lot does, of because everyone just a lot of right, evidence. You just vote right down party lines. Exactly, people just fill in it like that. I mean, and it's not like Trump was. It's not like people voting for those down ballot candidates didn't like Trump. In fact, they relied on his endorsements. You see what I'm saying? So it was completely not logical. It looks like he probably won between 44 and 46 states when you really break it down. And he got something like 400 to 410 electors when you really break it down. So it's very obvious that the election was thrown and that's part of a color revolution tactic, which is why I'm in the position to speak about it because throwing elections is part of, is part of how this works. The, the electronic voting, they can do things, they can remove a popular leader. Look, sometimes these leaders that get overthrown, we're using electronic voting to stay in power, don't get me wrong. But there are other leaders that were popular. They try to overthrow too. Just there's no real pattern there. There's no real pattern there. But we know that the attacks on the electric system. So we have to just again. This is not political. This is describing. Well, there's been some really big cyber attacks in the last week. There have been. There have been, and we know that this is. What do you? Why do you think that's occurred? And what do you think is actually happening? Okay. These are meant to destabilize countries. How does it destabilize countries? Well, when people don't have power, they're not happy with the instability. Most people are not tremendously political, although they may have voted. But generally speaking, people blame the the government in power for things that happen on their clock. That's why the COVID-19 was supposed to be Trump's fault. That's why, okay. So the electric attacks are supposed to be Trump's fault, supposed to be like, under his watch, uh, cybersecurity was weak. Yeah, my life okay. sucks right now. If I can just get this guy out of here, all this shit's going to go away. That's right. That's that's how it works. That's one of the psychological tactics in these psychological operations. Another thing is it's supposed to send signals to j- top brass in the military, like time to switch sides, get with the program. We fucking, send signals. We fucking run the show. Fuck you. That's right. We run the show. This is going to be instability. Uh, We we are showing that the people, that the government is unstable. Look, it can't stop these cyber attacks. So that means that we have the real, it's a a show of power. Like in organizing, when you organize political power, like how many people can turn out onto the streets? Okay, the elite version of organizing political power is like, can you do, can you roll out a pandemic? Can you turn off electricity? You know, can, and can you do that against the civilian elected government. That's that's a coup scenario. Okay, so we know that happened, for example, in Venezuela. We know like when the when Pompeo, that's why I said we have to drop politics and understand geopolitics. Okay, 
Now, we have to set aside whatever we think about Chavez and Maduro. Like, I know a lot of people in Florida, they hate the guy. I respect that. This, I'm just explaining my job. I'm explaining how it works. Okay. So Trump had Pompeo work with John Bolton to overthrow Maduro by doing a coup inside the National Assembly where the National Assembly intentionally misinterpreted the Constitution so that the National Assembly, like the, like the Congress, let's say, uh, appoints a president. That's not the way it works. I mean, the, the, it, that's a constitutional question, but it's not the way it works. Like the, it doesn't work that way because the National Assembly, because surprise to some people, Venezuela is not a total dictatorship, or like partly, but they have like a Congress that, is, ha, that was dominated by the opposition party. Kind of like you have, kind of like the United States, we have Trump is the president, but the Congress is dominated by Pelosi and Democrats, right? So now imagine that Pelosi says, I'm going to invoke Article 25, or we're going to interpret Article 12 this way so that I'm president, you see? So, and that's actually a thing that you've heard about, that Pelosi has a plan that she could be president if no one is decided after the 20th or after the 6th, right? So same thing, this is uh, about cyber. One, I can promise you Wahal is going to break loose and I'll be a part Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. So this is about cyber attacks. So after the United States, I'm going to say something that might hurt people's feelings, but I'm going to say it gently. So Donald, Maduro, the Venezuelan government is in the pocket of European banks who are America's allies. However, the Trump, their, their thing is to change the trajectory of the United States and to untangle from these transatlantic obligations. So like, you know, remember like when Ceausescu was overthrown or when Yugoslavia fell apart a little bit later and all those- in the, It's, one, in of the my favorite, it's and, one of my favorite videos on YouTube. Yeah. Ceausescu, like, when they land him and his wife up against the wall, if they were really right, killed, if they were really right. killed. If, if, yeah, they might've gotten away, Argentina or something. But so you have like the Balkans, Right. So the so United States actually did the work. Right. But like with the with NATO, like the intelligence, they did color revolutions, actually. OK, because you like you could have had like just movements for democracy and then they would have just had normal countries. But that why would that necessarily that why would they join the EU? You see what I'm saying? Like, why would they join the EU? So the deal was these countries in the Balkans and Eastern Europe are going to join the EU. But the United States, American companies like Microsoft and all these American companies are going to have like primary pickings with a lot of the brick and mortar businesses are American owned in the in the Balkans and in Eastern Europe. Like you have Colgate, like Colgate toothpaste is like the biggest toothpaste company in Poland, for example. Right. OK, that isn't from the state owned communist one. So like the former one. So you like that. So then in exchange for that, this is all like the MacArthur plan. This is all the trilateral plan. This is all like the post-World War II agreement carried forward, carried forward, but beyond its expiration date, you dig? So like it's way past the expiration date. And in exchange for that, in exchange for Americans having access to the former communist bloc countries, Warsaw Pact, Yugoslavia, okay, in exchange for that, European banks have access to Latin American countries. So historically, what the U.S. would do before that agreement was really congealed about 20 years ago. 
is that the United States, if, if a left-wing government that was against being controlled by oligar American banking institutions would have like a leftist coup or leftist revolution, or they would have a movement and then the US would send in like these death squads or generalissimos, like you had Pinochet, whatever, and they would like crush the, you know, crush that movement, okay. So now you might be for that or against that, I'm just saying factually how it used to work. Then what happened is that they made an agreement with the Europeans like, we need a new type of system. We're going to call it 21st century socialism, but by the mechanics of it, it's actually more like fascism that uses the imagery and the the imagery of leftism of Latin American leftism, like Che Guevara and you know that whole vibe, that whole Che Guevara uprising guerrilla warfare vibe. But it's actually the economics are going to be fascist because we're still going to have all the private companies in there, and that's where Dominion voting comes in. Okay, we're going to have all the private companies come in and they're gonna still run things. We're gonna pick winners and kick out the losers. So if you back the, you know, uh, Caprilis Radomsky, if you back the opposition to Maduro or Chavez before him, then you're out. Then you gotta beg your way back in. But if you're with the program and you're with us and you're gonna be kind of like picking favorites, you know how like Japan picks favorites, like companies, okay, like the Zaibatsu model. So that's what they did in Venezuela. The financing for that comes from European banks, that Deutsche Bank in Germany. Okay. so. Trump is trying to bring back what's called the Monroe Doctrine, where the United States then reasserts hegemony in Latin America. However, that's just what he says. He really just wants to have agreements with Europe. Like, look, if you disentangle from China, like if you reduce investment and trade with China, then we'll allow you to maintain in Latin America. But he has to front, like he's willing to go like, you know, balls to the wall on to hell with Venezuela because then the European banks would be all mad about that. So he just did that as leverage, okay? But his own assessment was that actually Maduro's a strong guy. I like him personally, like his aura is like dragon energy. And then what he said, it's on tape, like it's a transcript, like it's not fake news. Like he said that Juan Guaido, the opposition leader that John Bolton and Pompeo got behind, that this guy was actually like a, a skinny, he looked like a skinny little kid. He didn't look like he could lead the country. That was Trump's assessment. So, who, but these relationships and these connections, these networks that Juan Guaido came out of were established under the State Department of Hillary Clinton. So all of his handlers, and mostly they were like Brazilians, all of his handlers in Brazil, because that's where he was a lot of the time, uh, were from the Hillary Clinton thing. That's why John Bolton was a perfect pick because he's a neocon and like Bush and Clinton are like part of the same team. So Trump was required to bring on Joel, John Bolton, but then he set him up to fail. And, um, and that's why John Bolton, like most guys that did their job, maybe they succeeded, maybe they didn't, they would leave and be like, I was an, it was an honor to serve, thank you for the opportunity. Look at what John Bolton did after that. He's like, try to throw Trump under the bus. So the, the, what they did in the op what John Bolton authorized in Venezuela was to increase terrorism in Venezuela and they did cybernetic attacks. So they use like a Stuxnet virus, like a computer chip USB virus that they have an agent on the ground or they access online. And they went in and they cut off the power, dude. They cut off the power and whole parts of the country went blackout. Then people were in panic. They couldn't get news. They couldn't get information. They didn't know who was the president. They didn't know then they could get false reports like who controls do you, so think going a, on do you think there's a good chance that we're going to lose power before this election is determined 
I can tell you that there is a 100% chance that that is the plan. But if it doesn't happen, it just means that Team Trump got ahead of the curve. It doesn't mean that it wasn't the plan. Nationwide. No, it or would be big cities. big cities and other strategic locations. It's going to affect hospitals and power, like um, water, water filtration systems and stuff like that. We're still at risk for that right now, right? As we speak. That's correct. We are, we are, as we speak, the United States is still at risk for that. Do you think that but our systems... I don't systems, know. I mean, I'm not, there. I'm not there in the war room, brother. I mean, no, maybe no, Trump, no. they already th- figured it out, you do know? Do you think our systems are being held hostage right now? There's a, there's a chance that could be going on and we don't even know, right? There is a chance. There is a chance, but... Like they tell him, listen, either you get you step the fuck down... Yeah. Or we're going to push this fucking button and the power goes out. And for that reason, it makes me think he got ahead of the curve because they would have been doing that since the 14th. Interesting times, man. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to even use this episode, bro. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. We're sitting here, Al shaking his head. I'm fucking shaking yeah. my I think I'm going to have to release the audio. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put like little snippets, which yeah. I've, never, I've never done on my channel ever, by the way. Little snippets and say to hear this, go to that. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what David Nino Rodriguez had to do with me on his Instagram. We had to take it to Nino's Corner. And, uh, yeah, so um, that's the way people do it. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate because there's too many of these words in there that they could, you can't even edit it. Otherwise, you're, 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 this is very complicated shit for people that have no idea what's going on. Yeah, but you know what we could do right now if you want? We could do like a 10-minute where we don't use the names and then just talk about what the episode is about. In sure. General, but general so we're, you think we're definitely in the middle of a very big power shift. Very big power shift in the United and States And if it right goes now. the wrong way... Technically, our country's already in danger. We have a small right. sl- we have a small sliver of hope. The way I've, I've used the analogy, and uh, some people like it, I look at the analogy as if you believe in a global agenda, if you believe that there's these groups of people that don't give a – like to them, it's not about countries. Like People are still stuck in the mentality of thinking of, oh, there's presidents, and they sit down, and there's – no. If you believe that there's people that are more powerful than our leaders that we see publicly right. who, who manipulate – whether they can manipulate it directly through force or threats of force or holding the country economically hostage, militarily, the threat of invasion or whatever the case may be. If you truly believe that there's a group of people who manipulate our reality, which I do 100 percent, I'll say it on the record. I got no fucking problem saying it. Yeah. People still don't believe in some of this shit. Oh, it's all fairy tales. Oh, you're conspiracy theorists. Oh, you guys are all fucking morons. You guys got nothing better to do. There's a lot of people like that. But, but I don't get offended, yeah. bro. Just because I could be on a train and two nuclear scientists are talking about nuclear science and they're yeah. using a lot of jargon and they're talking about shit that I have no comprehension of. It doesn't mean that what they're talking about is wrong. It just means I don't understand. That's right. So that's right. Where I'm going with this is my analogy of what I'm trying to, I guess, paint the picture here to those that may be following this episode, wherever the fuck it's playing, is that our country, in my opinion, and this whole global agenda, whether you call it a, a one world government, which I think is pretty fucking clear that that's the that's the agenda. That's why you had the European Union formed, and they said that they talked about NAFTA and all this other shit, and then eventually making one currency for the whole world, which I think is definitely a part of whatever's going on right now. 
That's okay. public, yeah. They have to destroy everything that we have. That means keep printing money, make it collapse, kind of like the Yugoslavian dinar when the war That's right. started, it, it collapsed. But in, in that any was event, planned, yeah. Like planned demolition. Weimar, Germany, same shit. But getting, the same thing. getting back to the point, I feel like our country, the United States of America, while we were asleep, living an amazing lifestyle, the people that live in this country, the citizens of this country, with our tax dollars, with our work, with us asleep at the wheel, just enjoying getting fatter, buying things, buying shit we don't need, just enjoying life. Mm -hmm. Our country was used while we were asleep at the wheel to destroy the entire fucking world, to create the game board for what we're about to see now, which is the Great Reset. That's right. So we were used like the mafia uses a hitman. And yep. we were the enforcer of these policies, whether directly or indirectly, whether openly or covertly. Yep, and they now, abused the military, they, they used jingoism, they abused our patriotism, they abused our respect for the army, they abused our everything. trust to do that. And now, you don't have to ask me, go ask a veteran that served in Iraq and Afghanistan, ask them, why did you go there? Why do you think we were there? Yeah, and I got nine a lot of friends. Ten, nine out of ten of them said to me, I don't know why the fuck we were there. Yeah. Same thing in Vietnam, same thing in all these other fucking places. But getting back That's to the right. point, now that they've set up their agenda... And, right. they, and what, what we many of us believe is that they want one world government, one system for the entire fucking earth. That's been their dream for a centuries. A consolidation of total power. No one's ever been able to conquer the entire world. That's what they've been trying to do. So now that they don't need us anymore, we're actually in the way now. We're so actually we're, useless eaters in the words of Henry Kissinger. Exactly. So now that we have helped them accomplish their mission... Yeah. They no longer need us, and our quality of life never mattered, ever. Right. So now mm -hmm. that we are finished setting up the game board and it's been set up, now we're expendable. Now we're actually in the fucking way. Now we just... We're the last domino to, to fall, and then... We are... Would you agree that's it. a good assessment? Very good assessment. That's... You nailed it. So now that we were the hitman that did everything, now they're sending the hitman to whack us. We know where the bodies are buried. Thank you very much. So what is humanity's chance? Because from a theological perspective, whether yeah. you're Christian, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Muslim, but Christian and Muslim is half the world, okay, combined. That's right. Mm -hmm. Believe that there is, in essence, a one world government. And that one world government manifests itself in a human being who first comes as a savior of the world, mm -hmm. who then goes a step further yeah, the Dajjal. Yeah. And says Antichrist also, same word, basically, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. then says, no, 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 I'm not only am I your savior, I am actually God in the physical form. And for this person to come about, mm -hmm. this person has to come at a time when the world is in complete chaos. Mm -hmm. So the, what I'm saying is this correlations between just leaving theology out of it. Yeah. yeah. And even, if, even if we bring theology into it, they also have this concept of an evil power. Yeah. That has consolidated power mm -hmm. that will dominate the entire earth because the Antichrist dominates the entire earth. The Dajjal, as the Muslims call it, right, will literally enslave the entire world. They yeah. will have control of all the resources, all mm -hmm. the goods, the ability to buy, sell, all of that. And if yeah. you are not a part of that system, because that's actually a system. Yeah. If you are not with him this being when he supposedly manifests, mm -hmm. then you are literally going to die. 
Like there's no there's no middle there. It's either you accept their system or they destroy yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think even from a spiritual level, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are asleep at the fucking wheel. Big time. So Big for time. me, it's like, forget, do you understand geopolitics and fucking globalism and free sure. market trading and NAFTA and the IMF and all, forget all that. Yeah. So many people are supposed to be on the lower level. They, you know, mm-hmm. for, and I'm not saying this in, a, in a, like, you know, like they're not as complicated in thinking and researching. Like they just the simple people live simple lives. Mm-hmm. Many of which claim to be Christian and claim to be Muslim. I think they've all dropped the ball. They have. I think they. they you know, yeah, we know that. All the writings there. And I'm not even talking mm-hmm. about the higher institutions because those have all been infiltrated. There's no doubt about it. I'll That's give right. you. I'll give you a great example. In this country, you have the Council of of, of American Islam- relations of, of oh. no the Council of American. American Islamic Relations, right? Yeah, care. Yeah, this was to be a Muslim organization. Yet mm-hmm. for two more than two years, there's two million Christians and Muslims in concentration camps. Right. Yet this organization that's supposed to be defending Muslims and civil rights and all this other shit has right. not staged one or organized one protest mm-hmm. on front of the Chinese embassy on 42nd Street. Okay, in a city mm-hmm. that has tons of this is an example. I'm just using. I'm not trying to pick on Muslims, but. This is an yeah. example of how, in my opinion, their organization, about Uyghurs, yeah. their organization has been infiltrated. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. organization is there to give them the illusion that there's someone looking after their interests, but the person that probably controls that interest is a Soros-type person. It's probably funded yeah, by Soros for, for all they, we know. Um, or they receive, uh, they, they get a lot of money through um, UN cultural institutions for the UN, which the Saudi Arabia has been the has held the chair of of that department in the UN for the past couple of years. For example, Soros is pretty open in Albania, okay? He's yeah. in many pictures with the prime minister who is of communist ideologies, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the party he came from, the socialist, whatever the fuck it is with the rose, we're talking about Rama. This yeah, guy's yeah, yeah. in fucking pictures with him. This guy's like this, they're, name, they're naming fucking schools after him, okay? Right, of course. Yeah, and his son, open is friends with his son and like they're in a million pictures on you. All you gotta do is type in Eddie Rama and Soros. They're in a million yeah, fucking yeah, pictures. Yeah. The average That's Albanian right. has no fucking idea who that guy even is. Right, they're just like, oh, it's some guy. And I'm not here to debate the morality of homosexuality or any of that other stuff, but for example, as far as the Albanian culture is concerned, mm-hmm. it has never been tolerated ever. It's still, right. it's still very much not tolerated. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, these two are together. They have the first pride parade in Albania. Yep, same thing happened in Serbia. They start pushing these pictures of like ancient Albanian culture and two men, it's okay to be together. And I'm not here to debate whether it's right or wrong. What I'm saying is Yeah, they're showing pictures of Illyrian wrestling and they're claiming that this is evidence of homosexuality. So yeah, yeah, so so they push this agenda to really change the ideology and the culture. Yeah. And make it exactly like it is in other countries. And I'm again I'm not here to debate whether that's right or wrong. But, but why is it that, that that organization, that's their only, like, what I'm saying is that you can literally trace this to each time they've entered these more older countries or they have cultures that haven't been broken yet, meaning yeah. they've had their way of life for a very long time. Although, of course, the internet has worked a fucking wonder on, on, on cultures mm-hmm. around the world. I mean, it's decimated well, them. It's like you turn the- on, listen, you turn on the TV in Serbia, you turn on the TV in Albania, Korea, anywhere, you see the same shit. Mm-hmm. The same music, whether it's a Korean artist or American artist. Yeah. The same movies, the same plots, the same type of 
programming, as they would call it. It's an agenda. So that's all I'm trying to say, people. Is like it, it's not. I'm not here to debate whether being a homosexual. You know, that's that's your person. Yeah, that's that's up to you. I don't. But yeah. why is there an agenda to push just that? Why is there an agenda to push that lifestyle? For example, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in a yeah, country. Yeah, but it's not even. It's not even to push. There's like there's not one gay lifestyle. They're trying to push a particular flavor of it. Like for example, there's like a thousand and one ways to be anything else. But have you noticed that culture only pushes like one way? Like Chinese people are good at math. Black guys are rappers and athletes. Like all these things that they keep pushing as stereotypes. Gay guys are fashion designers. They're, uh, you know, beards or whatever they call them. Like they push these very small, limited, one-dimensional stereotypes of people. Like they're the ones that are racist or whatever. They're the ones that are homophobic because they're the ones that are pushing these one-dimensional stereotypes into media. So like, you know, there's a lot of people of all kinds of different backgrounds in the world and they might end up all kinds of different ways, but then they see these role models and be like, Oh, well I'm gay. So I should act like this. But if you talk to gay people, a lot of them, they hate pride. They hate, they hate the so-called mainstream, you know, gay, gay movement. They're like, that's not me at all. This is, is completely irrelevant to my life. You see? So why? Cause maybe is, when people see images from the pride parades, they feel like it maybe makes a mockery of them. Is that, is that what yeah, you Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. It makes, it makes people seem like, you know, I mean, it's same with anything, same with any so-called minority group. Like most minorities are like who think most minorities who think, and most of them do are like, you know, like this is like a, a caricature to mockery. So, you know, it's like, so it's an agenda. Like you're saying, it's an agenda. It's not just saying like, Hey, you know what? Like, uh, uh, if you see guys in the street, don't beat them up or whatever. That, that's like one thing. It's, it's another thing to say, we're going to hold a parade. It's going to be all about RuPaul. We're going to have these performers. We're going to have these artists. We're going to wave this particular flag. Like that's an ideology. That's not a sexual orientation. That's we're an ideology. We're going to be butt naked in front of kids. Right. That's, that's a, that would be wrong for adults to do of any, of any stripe. You know what I mean? So why is it okay to make it be, why are they trying to make it like that? So they're actually trying to desensitize. It's all about children, trying to desensitize children, trying to, they're trying to over-sexualize children at a young age. And they're just using the back door of uh, so-called gay rights. Ultimately it works against the interest of gay people too. Cause think about that backlash. You don't think that's planned also? That's like same, you know, it's like blowback. I, I'm starting mm -hmm. to feel like there is some backlash here in the U.S. towards that community. I yeah. think with all the images of the protest, the, the looting, and the image that people have of Antifa, for example, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. they've noticed that there's rainbow flags everywhere during those, whether staged or not staged, mm -hmm. protests, brick throwing, looting. There's a lot of people, I hear it in the back channel saying, hey, we gave gay people their rights. Right. And now they're with these people who want to fucking bring the government down. And this is what I mean when you're saying the word backlash. I believe that the gay community is in big trouble in this country. It is big time. I, I think they think that, you know, we got our rights. We're cool. But I think mm -hmm. they don't realize how charged the other side is that this can lead to some serious fucking violence towards them. Mm -hmm. Especially if Donald Trump doesn't get into office, this is what I'm worried about: uh, being yeah. a flashpoint towards African Americans and the gay community because yeah. of how charged both sides are. They've been galvanized over the last four years. It's like you, like they say, the powder keg has been full, mm -hmm. and that match. I think we're in the last couple of fucking weeks before this match could get thrown into there. My question to you is: Do you think that that can actually happen? Do you think we could go into a full blown civil war in this country?
You mean like where there's like uh, like another Yugoslavia, like another Yugoslavia? Of, to me, though, I think Yugoslavia was easier to break into lines because it, it was. was I don't know how the fuck of, anybody would know who the enemy is here. Like, okay, how do you fucking know? How if you're a Republican, how the fuck right. do you know what a Democrat looks like? I mean, yeah, you don't. You so don't, you so don't. I've had a hard time wrapping my yeah, brain. Yeah, but think about but think about uh, think about uh, Bosniaks and Serbs. They both spoke. And Serbian. they look exactly the same. They look exactly the same. So the lines eventually break up, is what you believe? I think that um, I don't think that the United States is going to have a civil war like the one in Yugoslavia. But I think that you're going to see again in the worst scenario that these are all Trump, hypothetical. We, we we you know we're hypothetical. There's so like, many variables here, and I understand. There's so many variables, and it's like, like variables this, this, within this, variables. This, this, this. And exactly, it's like a multiplicity of too many variables. But like just following the assumption, right? Just following the assumption. Uh, I don't think that you would see armies fighting each other, but you're going to see um, militias that are supported by different sides. So the, the I don't I think that the U.S. military will mostly play the role of like UN peacekeepers like you saw outside of Sarajevo or it's kind of like yeah they you know kind of like a referee who kind of like hits the ball a little bit you know like US army is going to be like UN peacekeepers and then you're going to have like these militia groups like Boogaloo boys and all kinds of different whatever militias state militias Michigan militia Boogaloo boys whatever and then on the then you're going to have Antifa and stuff like that. The problem is it's asymmetrical because uh, Antifa and people like this generally don't have military background. Generally, you might have like one out of a hundred. You know, you might see them. Uh, like when you see the people that are that are are practicing, uh, you know, good good gun handling protocol. They've only done classes in that. They're not tactically aware. They're not. They're just good at posing for pictures where they know how to hold a gun to look competent at holding a gun. I'm saying on the left, uh, but they're not. There, there are no left-wing militias that are like on the same tactical operational level as right-wing militias or constitutionalist militias. More correctly, I wouldn't call them even right-wing. I would say constitutionalist militias. So it, that's why it's very hard to conceive of a real civil war. But I, what in the transition integrity project. California, Oregon, and California, California, Oregon, and Washington break off and they call it Cascadia. So that's in the thing. I know it sounds like I'm reading like the Turner Diaries or some shit. No, like this is in the, it was referenced in the Atlantic and New York Times, Vox, Vice, everyone wrote about this. It was happened back in June. People were writing about it for the following two months. So, you know, uh, top Clinton aides, top people, big financiers connected to the World Economic Forum. Uh, we're all behind this project to threaten a civil war or secession scenario. Now, the real thinking behind here, look, so this is going to go, so there are numerous challenges to the way that the election went out. Um, we have to say on the record, we have to say on the record um, for the platform of this section that Joe Biden won the election fair and square without any anomalies that would have changed the outcome of the election. Okay. However, however, in Trump's challenges, 
it looks like the Supreme Court could go his way, could, just following the, what's called the study diseases, the past precedents. The failed Texas trial, the, fa the failed Texas push- Set up actually, his next one. What's that? It set up his next, his next case. It, it set up the next case very well because they actually kind of advised how that should look. But more importantly than that, brother, what they actually did is they, they guaranteed that in this type of issue, that a state could not sue another state over its decision, maybe to send electors or however. So because California and those states would be then trying to sue in the, in the consequence of a, ah, of a, of a, okay. of a pro-Trump case. So basically they sacrificed that case. So now when these electors were allegedly not into some of those locations on, on that day when they're supposed to certify the state, right. the state of like Texas would say, fuck you. We're not putting Democrat elect, you know, we're not going with Biden. Our guys went to the thickened thing. You guys didn't right. let them in. They did it right in front of the location. We have it right. on video and That's these right. are the electors and fuck you. And because this case was thrown out, so is yours. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. The other states can't sue. They, they said they, they established that that was the view of this particular court. They established that very important, but look, California alone, its budget to the federal budget is 15, one, five percent of the entire federal budget. Okay. Now people might think that's not a lot like, Oh, we can do without that. No, you can't like Bill Gates was able to control the world health organization with 10% with 10% of the, of the WHO's, funding depending on him uh was only 10 percent, and yet that 10 percent bought him all the currency and discretion over the outcome that he needed so the united states without that 15 percent from california that's a tremendous bargaining chip so this is a, a threat of terrorism or a threat of secession that the transition integrity project has openly telegraphed right to the court in the event that you might think, like, let's set aside if John Roberts is compromised or not, okay? There's a conservative majority on the court. So setting aside Roberts, there's still a conservative majority on the court. They need that threat hanging over the court's head. You follow? In order for that California will secede. That's why they, like, it's not like, it's not like this, this was a secret war game, but they published the results publicly. But the New York Times or the Atlantic or Vice or Vox could have not written a story about it. Like, why was this so broadly broadcast that this was the plan to separate California, right? So that people know what will happen if the court goes for Trump. So all this talk about martial law, insurrection and stuff like that is, you know, is countering leverage that will be held on the court. Now, that's very important because generally speaking, the courts want to avoid a constitutional crisis at all costs, even to the point where they might deny justice in a particular case in order to save the republic broadly. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so for example, like there are two schools of jurisprudence on the court. Liberals use something called balancing and conservatives tend to use something called original intent or original textual, uh, orig original text. The textual interpretation is based on originalism. Okay, different types of originalism. 
but the liberals tend to use something called balancing. So balancing is taking, of course, like they're reading the intent, but then they balance that with like, what are the broader social implications? Like that's how a lot of civil rights legislation was put in the Supreme Court, like in the 60s, was they said, okay, even though it's like technically speaking, probably these, these, uh, these governments and institutions have the right to do you know, segregation or whatever, but we're balancing that against like the legitimacy of the country and, and are there gonna be more you know, protests and stuff? Cause you had like King and stuff like that at the time. So a lot of civil rights legislation came in through the courts through balancing theory. So now, so now what's the threat? California is gonna secede. Okay, so they're like, okay, so Trump has a strong case. Like, you know, Trump probably, you know, his case is strong, but California is gonna secede. So we have to balance that. So now when you have like, I'm gonna say the names, um, Powell and Flynn, talking openly about the Kraken and about the Insurrection Act. Okay, so that's, so now the court has another thing to chew on, don't they? Yeah. So, yeah, but the, the goal is to have the court do the right thing. So, um, anything can happen basically. <laughs> oh my God, anything should happen, but the thing is that- So um, you think Chaz was a way when they set up Chaz in uh, Washington state in Seattle, that was a way to show Trump's side, like, fuck you. Like we did it with this little town. We'll do it with the whole state eventually. Yeah. It was a shot across the, the bow and it shows what they can do. You know, the fact that they did Raz a week ago or two weeks ago shows that the Democrats know they haven't won this election yet because that means they're back in campaign mode. Just think about it. Like they did Chaz during the race. Doing Raz means that they are setting up for this secession scenario because that Raz is in Portland. That's new. So Raz is like the Red House Autonomous Zone. That's in Portland now, right? So they're set. That is now. That was only put in place starting around December eighth or something. It was. It started up around the same time as the uh, as the Safe Harbor date for the today for is portal. the twenty first of December. Yes. Now we're at the 21st of December. Today's a big, tonight's a big night with uh, astrology and numerology and all that shit that these cycles like to use. That's right. What do you think we could possibly see in the next 24 to 72 hours? You think we might see any false flag attacks? Is it possible? I think that it's more likely that we'll see a important move by the president or an important announcement from the president than we, then I think that they have a lot more under control than we know. And for example, with, with AG Barr, he's out now. Well, he's out starting December 23rd. People like to focus on all the things that he didn't do that in their wildest fantasies he would have done. But if you read his resignation letter very carefully, he talked about all the things that he did do, especially relating to putting down potential insurrection Think about all the things he did during the riots. Think about all the things that he did during the BLM Antifa, all the investigations that went down. Like people look at what happened and they and then they compare what they wish who would have got arrested, but they don't think they don't know what could have happened. I know what could have happened. They have no idea what could have happened. People totally don't understand why Trump had Barr in there. And and Barr never failed to do something that he 
promised that he would do. He was there to handle the things that he handled. It's like, people have no idea what was planned. They have no idea like that all these cities would still be burning. They had no idea what it took for AG Bar to go in and work to federalize, to, to make these, you know, to come in to federalize these police forces so that they could prosecute. Like they had it all set up brother, like that the local city attorney would not prosecute these guys. These were like using firearms, shooting people, killing people, arson, committee to, uh, uh, conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit arson. And they had it all lined up like Kamala Harris and all these people have a fund to let, to get them out of jail. So they thought they had this on lock. They were like, okay, think about it. The governor's going to give a pardon. The, the fucking attorney, the state, uh, state prosecutor's not going to prosecute. City pro prosecutor's not going to prosecute. So the police can go in and arrest people. So who was behind changing that and federalizing the police, right? Or when the guy who killed, who ran up and just shot the guy in the street. Greenhouse. And, and then he, remember that? Yeah. They, they had to federalize the police to go in. They killed him. When they arrested him, they killed him. That was AG Bar. Not Reynolds. So I forgot who you're talking about. Yeah, it was like in Seattle or some shit. Yeah. So there was like a pro-Trump protest that, like a caravan and trucks that went through Seattle. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then they okay, shot, off the back of the, shot off the back of the truck as it was moving or some shit. Yeah, the guy, a guy walked up and shot a guy who his friends had driven the truck through. So <clears throat> this is people don't understand what happened in that summer. Like in the future, when the FOIA documents come out and like journalists and, you know, authors are writing books about last summer of 2020 with those riots, ever since the shooting of George Floyd or what was behind that shooting, like that will come out like in 2025, 2030, like that will come out finally. But AG Barr did a lot. He did a lot. And, um, the new guy, he's a, there's a new guy in there, December 23rd. You know, there's still like 28 days that Trump is in office after the new guy assumes the role. So I think that after the 23rd is, that's just two days from now. So I think that today's a very magical day, um, spiritually, religiously, it signals a lot. I think that the energies are very high I think the positivity is very high and hope is very high. And it reminds me very much of Easter 2020. And I think that, uh, you know, Pasha 2020. So I think that uh, what's going to happen next, it's going to happen right around now because the vibrations and the energy are towards the anti-lockdown, anti-deep state, anti-election fraud vibrations are pulsing very high. And we'll wrap up this first session with this. At least we have it all documented. So if we hit any of these, you know, uh, projections that we think are going to happen, at least it's documented, man. It yep. just look cool. If not, we'll fucking make it disappear. No, I'm joking. <laughs> that's, that's what they do when they're fucking media. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's, let's do something very simple here. Explain to people what game theory is. And is that something you've studied before? Yeah, very much. And how important is it? And how can you start maybe teaching your children that? And what do you think the benefits of game theory are? You know, game theory begins actually, all children are capable of game theory. Um, in fact, it's one of the primary tests of uh, determining if a child has autism or not. Um, uh, game theory is basically like, can you understand what's going on in people's decisions outside of your own mind? Right? So 
In other words, like, can you tell that someone's lying? Or can you tell that someone might act in their own interests that's not the same as your interests, right? So game theory, it works in individuals, it works between countries, international relations, it works in business. You teach your kids game theory and you're giving them a tremendous advantage, uh, not because they're gonna take advantage of kids, but it's gonna keep them from getting taken advantage so many times in life. Just to understand that other people have different interests from you. And if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, following what's called a rational choice model. Rational choice model is at the foundation of game theory. So rational choice model is that all the actors in the game are making, are making decisions based on their own interests. That's gonna save them so many things in life. Like when someone's trying to sell them something, like, hey, this is gonna be good for you. The kids gonna be like, well, why are you selling this to me, yo? Like, what's in it for you? Like, you know, or a politician says, oh, we're gonna make the world beautiful and everything. It's like, well, why would you believe that politician? What's his, what's his game? Right. What's his rational self-interest, you know, just rationally, not like he's evil or something, but just like what's his skin in game. So you got to teach kids game theory. It's like learning what people's skin in game is. You, you got to know what people are standing to lose if they have skin in game. Are they just flapping their jaw? Are they just trying to be helpful? You're going to learn all of that if you uncover what their rational choices are, you know, based in game theories. It's just fantastic to teach. You got to teach your kids game theory. Do you have any books you recommend for someone that's never learned about game theory? I would just, honestly, I would just get on the Amazon and type it in and you will get like 400 results and you will see based on user reviews, like who, you know, I don't have a particular book because mine were like textbooks because it was game theory within the rubric of international relations, you know? Um, so, but at the foundation of game theory, rational choice modeling, is modeling that's used in international relations and in international political economy, IPE. Um, but it works in everyday life. Like it doesn't originate in international relations. It, it actually originates in psychology and social psychology. So it's very important. It's kind of like, do you have situational awareness, right? Books, just, I'm sure there are tons of like, you know, easy read, introduction, primers, whatever, stuff that a maybe a middle school aged kid would understand. Um, that's, but it definitely, yeah. Game theory is like, you know, you know what? I'll tell you what's important about for adults though, understanding the world. You know, sometimes we like look at a leader in a country and we're like, oh, well, he wants revenge on this other country because he doesn't like that guy. It's like, not what that's not what cold calculators do. That's not how smooth operators operate. You might have offended somebody, but they're not interested in revenge. They're interested in not being provoked by the thing that they were, you know, like if you can get provoked, right? This is game theory. If you can get provoked, then that means that your actions are forecasted. Like your enemies predicting your reactions if they can provoke you. So this whole idea like that, uh, this president's going to react to this other guy. He's doing it because he's provoked. It's like his, I mean, if you follow a rational state model, like, so it's not a cult of personality state. This is back to rational choice modeling, right? If that government, if they have like advisors and they get together like a joint chief of staff, like the United States isn't going to attack Germany because Merkel like didn't serve Trump, you know, the right, you know, his favorite food or something like that's not, or, or because Germany cut off US from trade, like Trump's looking for revenge, like he took it personally. The biggest mistake that people make in understanding 
tensions between countries is thinking that it's like the individual personalities of the leaders that don't get along. Because, you know, in their own life, they might understand it like, I don't like this guy, you know, who works at this bodega. So, but if I see him, I'm going to catch him slipping, fuck him up after work. Okay. But high up, you know, big time operators, they don't get provoked. You can't provoke people because then you're being controlled if you're provoked. That's game theory. That's rational choice modeling. Yeah. I like it. I think it's a good introduction for those that have never studied it before. Folks, we talked about a lot of crazy different things here. I got to figure out how I'm going to edit this so some of it can actually make it onto YouTube. <laughs> the full unedited version of this episode is on audio here on anywhere you can get a podcast. We're on every single platform there is. This is Joaquin Flores. We made some predictions about what's going to happen here with the campaign. I'm on the record as saying I don't think Trump's stepping down. I just don't. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think a lot of it also has to do with... A lot of the predictions that Imran Hussein made. Yep, I think so too. And I think he got very, very close. But you know, he also talks about a Malhama, as he calls it, the Great War, where half the world gets wiped out. How viable do you think something like that is? Could it actually happen in our lifetime? It could happen in our lifetime. I would, I would apply the principle of Katahan that you know we have to, we're trying to push that back. It's an, it's an eventuality. But you got to have it be where it's pushed back in time as far back as possible. And then sometimes once you're in a new paradigm or a new reality, those words take on a different meaning. Like, for example, that half the people, those, like that half of people who get wiped out, they might be cyborgs or semi-humans or something that isn't even people that have souls. So, but we don't know what that looks like until we're close to that time. It, that's how prophecies tend to work. Sometimes they surprise you, like what it means. So I wouldn't think that half the innocent real people on the planet get killed. I'm just saying, for example, it could be like that there's AI or there's people that died already, but they use their bodies, you know, and uh, I guess <laughs> like uh, you just use your imagination, you know. I think the next session we should go into the whole alien thing. Yeah, there are no aliens. There are no aliens, but I do believe nope. I believe in demons. I don't know about there you. There are angels. There are angels and there are demons. There are jinn. I think they're going to come through those CERN projects. Uh, they, they are using CERN and they are using anxiety and fear and pain. Low low vibration. Low vibrational activities to summons them. They got to lower the Earth's temperature a little bit first, too, to get it right. Yeah. So you think there's a strong... Uh, strong uh, potential that they can actually come into this dimension through some type of technology that they may have discovered. Alistair Crowley already figured out that technology. I mean, the, the, the seance movement, the medium spiritualist in the 19th century, like, you know, doing the automatic writing or do you think channeling. that we have this because of the gen, because of the demons? Yeah, we do. Of course we do. I, I really, Hussein says we do. I don't think human beings made this on their own. I don't think they could have figured it out. And I think the greatest proof of that is Jack Parsons, but people have no idea what we're talking about. We're going to get into that yeah. in another session. Yep, that's what we're going to do. Talk about L. Ron Hubbard, Jack Parsons. I think yep. that's maybe an episode that could get through without being flagged, mm. right? Or no? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that could. Yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe that's what we should have done, man. Shit. This episode, <laughs> bro, is just, it's not going to go through, man. Yeah, we got to, you know. They're going to block us, the powers that be. So I think this is going to be an audio format. I'll take some highlights. Mm -hmm. And this is an example of the time we live in. We can't even speak freely anymore. So, That's right. Mm -hmm. Folks, I'm here with Joaquin Flores. A lot of you on the back channels 
have followed him. He's had hundreds of thousands of followers. He's had them taken from him multiple times. Obviously, somebody doesn't like what he's saying. Uh, I don't hear anything hatred coming out of this guy's mouth. So I don't know, you know, why there's so much blockage on, you know, these types of uh, open conversations. In any event, he's here to give us some maybe broader knowledge of what people would classify as conspiracy theories. I don't think they're conspiracy theories at all. Uh, in 25 years of my research, I think, like he said, he's not even talking about hypothetical groups. He's using real people, real events that happen, real meetings that happened. And he spoke about these meetings and what their purposes for those meetings were. And a lot of this is documented. You can go backwards and uh, read about them. Is that not correct? That's all correct. All It's all public source information. That's right. For humanity to propel forward towards the right direction, we're going to have to make the greatest comeback of all times. But have no despair, because no matter what you've been through in life, as long as you have air in those lungs, you can always make a comeback. Finally, somebody gets it right on the first shot. A comeback. That's my friend, Joaquin Flores. Check out the episode. Tell your friends about it. Record it. Share it on the back channels. This is your boy, Beck Lover. And we'll see you next time on the Comeback Team. Beck Lover. Oh, 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 oh,